Thank you for listening to Life Church Podcast. For more information, go to lifechurchofcolumbia.org. This all came from the very first Monday night of prayer revival. I was over in that corner right over there just having an awesome encounter in my prayer time. And, uh, and in doing so, I'm just going to read it like I wrote it. Is that okay with y'all? Can I just read this for a second? Because once it started happening, I had to start just writing this out. So I was walking and praying when I noticed I was doing something weird with my hands. Do you all ever do that in prayer? Like you'd be doing something or, or in some gesture and you're distracted from prayer. You're like, <laughs> what was that? <laughs> but I was doing something and I can't even really mimic what I was doing. But it was so noticeable it distracted me. I told you all it's going to be weird tonight. Just roll with me, okay? And it was almost as if I stopped and asked myself, what are you doing with your hands? <laughs> and for those of you that hang around us much, it made me think of the, the interview. He's like, I, I don't know what to do with my hands. Like, what? Just put them by your side. I, I don't know what to do with them. <laughs> Sorry, but that's just where I was at in prayer, okay? If you can't laugh and have a good time in prayer, maybe you're not actually talking to your father. Uh, so he asked himself, or I asked myself, <laughs> I feel like I'm reading the scripture now. And thus asketh himself. <laughs> if I say it like that, will you believe it more? <laughs> so I asked myself, what are you doing with your hands? And the Holy Spirit immediately spoke to me and said this. Did that come up? Fail. No, I got you, Colby. There you go. Heart massage. And I was <laughs> more confused than when I started. Because I had zero, I was completely thrown off because I didn't have any kind of reference to draw from on this. Like usually God gives you something like, oh yeah, this means this. And you kind of have, I was blank. I was at zero. I had no kind of reference to draw from this. And I certainly at the moment did not know it had anything to do with a medical nature. So I did the most spiritual thing I could think of to do in the moment. I sat down in that back corner and I Googled it. <laughs> I'm just being honest. So, after doing this, it led me to searching it out and reading several medical articles about this subject, uh, which I eventually came to realize that the actual medical term is an open cardiac massage. But we're going to call it heart massage tonight. While I was on there, I even realized there were some videos. I'm going to show you one. No, I'm kidding. I couldn't even watch it myself. I just skipped all the videos. Now listen, to set this up and begin to show you what God was showing me about our church and where we're at and some things that are happening, I went in and did some extensive, I don't want to say extensive, but I, I did quite a bit of reading on this subject, and I, was, I read a lot from, uh, I don't want to get this too wrong, uh, McGraw-Hill Medical Chapters, and it's all kinds of information and dictionaries and so much stuff, and I just started diving into this stuff and uh, just reading so much into it. And I'm going to pull some quotes out of these medical chapters, these medical dictionaries. So I need you to track with me. Can you all do that tonight? The purpose of cardiopulmonary resuscitation during cardiac arrest or hypo, hypovolemic shock, sorry if I butcher any of these words, is to provide adequate cardiac output. I need you all to say that. Adequate cardiac output. So the goal of the two things we're going to talk about, they both have the same goal. And it's to create the adequate 
output from someone's heart. This is still in their, in their chapter. This can be done using either closed or open chest cardiac massage. Uh, it is performed on patients who have had an emergence, an emergent thoracotomy after, penetrating, after a penetrating chest, chest trauma and have an inadequate wow, cardiac activity. So here's my very basic out of Josh Love Dictionary, okay? The simple definition is, it's something a surgeon will do when he is about to close up a patient's chest after cutting them open to do some type of uh, heart transplant, uh, any kind of heart surgery. He will massage the heart by hand to get it to the proper rhythm or even to going at all depending on the situation. This concept, when I, the more I read into it, it gave me such crazy respect for... Surgeons, heart surgeons, these guys are amazing. So as I begin to look into this, uh, one of the things that stood out to me is there's two different ones. There's open cardiac massage, which is the heart massage we're talking about, and there's closed. Closed is CPR. CPR is the external version of what we're talking about. You know, CPR, where you're just banging on their chest, and you're trying your best to get that heart back into a rhythm, back into uh, circulation, let's put it that way. So CPR is the external version. The thing is, it doesn't really get to be on the inside, so it creates a lot more stress on the person receiving it. People sometimes end up with broken ribs, bruised sternum, and it even creates optical nerve stress when done wrong. CPR, which is a great thing. It's saved a lot of people's lives. But this is what I want you to notice, and I want you to begin to track with me on what Holy Spirit began to show me out of these things. Remember, I'm reading you medical terms, but I need you to think spiritually, okay? Open cardiac massage, the heart massage, was routinely performed before the introduction of CPR. So before somebody realized they could almost get the same result with being external, they used to do it internally. Y'all tracking with me? I know I'm using a lot of medical stuff, and I hope I don't lose you tonight. See, CPR doesn't actually get on the inside of you, so it creates, it creates a lot of stress. Studies, based on the chapters that I'm reading out of, they've done studies that show in order for the return of spontaneous circulation, that's for your heart to start pumping blood again, you need to maintain a minimal coronary pressure of 15 mmHg, okay? So when they're doing this procedure, they need to maintain a pressure of 15 mmHg for your heart to start doing what it's supposed to do. You need to maintain that. It's not exact for every person, but it is proven that a pressure less than 15 mmHg, which is the way they measure it, predicts a uniformly fatal outcome. So when this is being performed on somebody and they can't maintain the certain level of pressure, it can cause you to die or allow you to remain dead. The study also shows that patients who receive CPR only experience between 1 to 9 mmHg. So when this routine is performed externally, you're getting 1 to 9 and 15 is the minimum. Okay? While receiving open cardiac massage, the patient experiences almost 20 mmHg. Are y'all tracking with me still? Shake your head yes, this is no... All right, so on an external routine, you're getting, at the best, 
6 mmHg lower than what you need, right? But it's external. It's quick. It's in and out. It'll get the job done without having to open anything up. But when the time is taken to open up a chest and perform an actual open cardiac massage, a heart massage by the doctor, it surpasses the 15 that's needed with five more to make sure that you have a great flow not only to your body, but to your brain. Okay? Open cardiac massage produces improved cerebral, cerebral, cerebral perfusion and neurolog neurologic recovery. That's exactly what I just said in their medical terms. Which means it provides the adequate output for both your body and your brain. So the open heart massage provides everything needed for your heart to adequately supply both your body and your brain. Okay? So through all this, this is where my prayer had led me, and I'm studying this, and I'm reading this, and I'm asking tons of questions, and I'm backing things up with other things that other doctors have read. Holy Spirit began to speak to me about his church and more specifically about what he is doing to the church. First of this, he began to show me what we have been trying to do for the most part up until this point. And he began to tell me that the very best we have been able to do is CPR. Trying to bring people back to life without having the ability or permission to actually go in and touch the heart. So what it's done is created a lot of pressure on other areas. So what's happened is we've created some external programs and external preaching and external motives and external everything. And because of it, we've begun to see that one to nine pressure. And we may see a reaction. We may see, but in the long run, what usually happens is someone ends up with a broke rib or a bruised sternum or, or something begins to happen because of all the external force that's required. When a doctor does open cardiac massage, he's literally just like, just one hand in there. I was going to do what he does, but I don't have a clue what he's doing. But you get the point. One hand, it's calm. It's easy. He needs nothing. Do y'all need me to get Colby up here and show you what it looks like when you do CPR? <laughs> I remember we had to take a class when I was working in the woods and they, they brought us in for their insurance and we had to take a class on how to do CPR on someone. And they got the dummy up there and you have to go up there and pump on their chest and, do, and they're telling you all the different kinds of things. And one of the guys raises his hand. He was dead serious. He was a truck driver, if that tells you anything. Uh, <laughs> he raised his hand. He said, uh, he raised his hand. He said, don't you have to break the chest so you can really get in there and massage the heart? And we're all looking at him like, Bro, who have you killed? Like, and it's, but it's that mindset, you understand? It's that since we're doing it externally, there's so much force, and you're working so hard, and you're creating pressure on all the other areas of their body. So all this pressure is being created because we want to do it externally. Man, I hope you are tracking with me on this. See, the goal from the beginning is just like we read. The goal is an adequate output of the heart. That's what we want, right? right. Even the external driven, all that kind of stuff. We want our heart to supply everything that's needed for our body and for our brain. Yeah. I hope you are thinking spiritual here. Yeah. So that's what we're after. But what we've done, see, that's why I read this where it said open cardiac massage was, routi was routinely performed before the introduction of closed chest CPR. 
So in other words, there was a time where they would take the time to open you up and make sure it was right. It was personal. It was intimate. It was extreme to a sense. It was drastic. But I just read you the differences in the things that would happen. Then somebody came up with a quick, easy, in and out method. So what we've done even in the church, is lost an old art form that may take time, and it may be longer, and it may be exposing, and it may do, and we've just adopted a quick in and out, let's get it done and get you on, even though when you leave, you're probably going to have more pressure than when you came in. You came in with heart problems, and then you left with heart problems and a broken rib, and this is the culture we've created because we want to do it quick, and we just want to do it external. And we just want to beat on their chest until maybe we get some results. And he said, the best you've been able to do is CPR. Just some external work, pressure, to try to get someone to come back to life. I don't even know how to put that. See, here's the thing. CPR can be done without opening up and exposing the heart. See, this is why we're so quick to adopt this method, because I don't get exposed. I, I would imagine there's nothing that feels more exposing than someone laying on an operating table with their chest spread open. I mean, I, I, mentally, I can't imagine what that, I mean, you're, you're at the most vulnerable you can possibly be in that moment. See, and the church has gotten away from this because uh, and, and here's what's crazy is he began to show me it's not just fault on the people, it's fault on the preachers as well. And we've lost this, uh, this, this concept, this method, this, this internal method, because we don't want to expose you for the sake of our reputation, and you don't want to be exposed for the sake of your reputation. But what he began to show me is someone's experiencing cardiac failure is not worried about exposure laying on the table. They're not saying, well, doctor, when you cut me open, could you make sure you don't look over here and don't look at that? And don't. No, they're laying on the table saying, I need this right. I need the correct, the adequate output of my heart to go to my body and to my brain. Otherwise, I'm no good. And what we've done is we've created this, this, this gospel, this method, this, this, this idea that's so external, nothing gets exposed. So nothing can be brought back to the proper output of what it's designed to do. The heart is designed to give the exact amount of pressure your body needs to supply your organs and your body, and also the exact amount of pressure your brain needs for it to function the way it's supposed to. It's originally designed to do it perfectly. Do you know the one way that gets it the closest it could ever get? Heart massage. In the medical studies, they begin to show that it brings it so close to the way that it was designed that nothing else actually compares to it. So as I begin to read this, and God began to show me that we have to quit worrying about what's being exposed, and we have to quit worrying about the vitals that are being released, and start being willing to go to the place where God cuts us open, and everything's just out there. And we have to be okay with it being out there because I know when he gets done, he is the master surgeon. And he will massage that heart just right in, in the perfect way that I come back to the original design that he put in the heart. 
Each one of you have been designed specifically with a heart to provide you the adequate output needed for you to accomplish what you have for the kingdom. And his desire is to bring you back into that perfect place where your heart is is pumping at the level spiritually, are you listening to me? So that it's supplying everything you need to do everything you were called to do. He said, I'm about to cut you open. I am, I am fully convinced that Life Church is being taken beyond an external attempt to get the heart back to the intended output. We are beginning to experience a spiritual thoracotomy. Thoracotomy is cutting you open. It's when the doctor says, scalpel, crank. Have you ever seen them crank somebody's chest open? Oh my gosh. I should have got videos of all this just so you would be totally disgusted by the time you left. It's the craziest thing ever. But God began to show that in that moment, in that time, it may take a scalpel. It may take stretching your chest open. It may take exposing your vitals. It may take you getting in places that are so vulnerable, you feel like you're fully exposed. And what do I do in this moment? He said, this is where I'm bringing you to. Because once I've brought you there, I can get your heart to where I designed it to be. It will be at the intended output. His plan is to cut until we're fully exposed. And when he began to tell me this about taking us beyond an external attempt to an internal method or system or, or whatever you want to use there, immediately I begin to think of uh, Joel chapter 2 where he said, I want you to rend your heart, not your garments. See, this is where we're at. The church has been rending garments for too long. We've been coming up with all the external ways, all the external methods, all these things. Dad brought it so clear this morning that we're doing all these things. Jesus said, your mouth, you confess me, but your heart is far from me. So all this outside stuff looks right, but you won't let me get close to your heart. Why did he say your heart is far from me? He wants your heart exposed to him, right in front of him, so that he can do what he has to do to get it back on track. He said, I, I want to get to your heart, not your garments. I'm not after all that external stuff. The external stuff is easy once the heart's right. I'm telling you guys, the external stuff does what it's supposed to do when the heart does what it's supposed to do. So all the things that we on the outside are trying to make get in line and whip them into shape, I believe that if we were allowed to be brought to this point where God goes in and does the heart work himself, those things would begin to go where they need to go and do what they need to do and be put where they need to be put. The heart is so designed, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce some of these words in here. I did so much better when I was reading them in my office, or at least they sounded good to me. But it's so designed perfectly to give just the right amount of blood to each organ, each area, each place, every part of your brain, everything to just work and move so perfectly. And, and it was so beautiful to me to see how it was designed to send to the body and to the brain. And I begin to look at that and think that the heart is literally designed to control body and brain. That's how you act and how you think. So he's saying, I'm trying to get in there and begin to do some work that's going to show up in how you think and how you act. 
It's impossible to have God work on your heart and it not affect how you think and how you act. See, what's crazy is when we do the external methods, eventually we will go back. The, the heart itself will reveal where you really are. And if it wasn't correctly done, then you'll feel it in your body and you'll feel it in your brain. You see what I'm saying? So when we externally try to do what God is supposed to do internally, eventually it's going to show up. Eventually your body's going to start showing symptoms that something's not right with your heart. Your, your, the way you think is going to start revealing something's not right with my heart. So God began to show me through all this medical stuff, there's so much out there, that his desire is to begin to go deep into the heart of Life Church, to cut until vitals are exposed. And what's crazy is in this moment, according to these studies, it is so intense and it becomes so emergent that it requires an open cardiac massage. In other words, it brings you to such a point, excuse me, it brings you to such a place. I shouldn't have made fun of you this morning. <laughs> it brings us to such a place where all of a sudden we realize if he doesn't grab a hold of my heart in this moment, I'm not going to come out of this. Do you see what I'm talking about? As a matter of fact, so much so, I read this in the, in the, in the studies and I thought it was so awesome. Open cardiac massage, a heart massage, is considered to be a heroic procedure in the, in the emergency department that can be life-saving if it's a performed at the appropriate time on the appropriate patient. In other words, everything, it's, it's, that, it's that moment where the, the surgeon is so good, he knows, wait for it. In this moment, at this time, and he knows just when to do it, and when he starts to massage that heart, it says it, uh, spontaneously begins to circulate. And I begin to think, wait, how could it be spontaneous if he's massaging it? Does it, it, it almost contradicts. Kind of like we've been in a 10-day pr prayer meeting and suddenly the Holy Spirit came. You see what I'm saying? Did it come suddenly or did it take 10 days? Because those seem opposite of one another. And I begin to see how it was the same, it's the same way. God begins to do something and he begins to massage that heart. And at the time you don't understand it and you're exposed and you're hurting and you're messed up. And then all of a sudden the heart goes into and it comes alive. And it starts doing what it was created to do. And it feels so spontaneous. And it, feel, and it, it doesn't feel. It is so organic. It's so real. It's the way it was designed. In other words, God doesn't have to sit there and keep doing it. He does it in such a way it begins to do what it was created to do. See, this is the thing. God doesn't have to keep holding your hand and pumping your heart. and do, He'll so bring you to a place that you'll do what you were created to do. You'll live like you were created to live. You'll begin to walk in the places that you were created to. He's so good. He's such a perfect surgeon. And he's brought us to this point. And I believe some of this is a word of, of recognition to you at Life Church. If you feel exposed, if you feel like your vitals are out there, if you feel like you flatlined, if you feel like you're in the moment where you don't know what's coming next, trust the surgeon that he knows the exact moment when to reach in and bring that heart back to life. I love this. It's a heroic procedure. Gosh. Surgeons are awesome. Uh. Psalms 4 and 7 says, You have put gladness in my heart. 
Some of y'all didn't catch that, or some of you have never known what it meant to be glad. He's, he didn't say, I found gladness, I worked up gladness, I came up with No, he said, you put it in there. Some of us need to lay on the table long enough to let God put some gladness in your heart. Maybe he needs to put some kindness in your heart. Maybe he needs to put some long-suffering in your heart, some, some joy and some peace, some things that need to be put in there. You know, those things that we try to fake and put on. Guess what? The heart reveals it every time. The heart will come up and say, no, this ain't right. You're not getting the right oxygen. You're not getting the right blood flow. Something's not happening. And next thing you know, I'm irritated, and I hate everything she says, and she can't cook worth the flip, and why ain't the... Why ain't the clothes washed? And why ain't the rooms clean? And all stuff that was like that last week that I didn't care about. But now all of a sudden, my heart is revealing, hey, you're not getting the proper oxygen. So now you're, you're, your nerves are erect and you're upset and you don't know what to do. It's the heart revealing to you something's wrong. Get it fixed. Lay on the table. Let him cut you open. David said, you put gladness in my heart. So I'm going to wrap up with this in, in, in Song of Songs. I've been, uh, by just way of the Holy Spirit and nothing else, trust me, I have been studying and reading exclusively in Song of Songs for about a month now. No other book in the Bible other than stuff he sent out for prayer or things like that. And it's a couple of these scriptures I pulled up to go along with this. But other than that, I've been reading nothing but Song of Songs. Let me say this. If you don't have the Passion Translation, I don't recommend it. Just being honest. It will be way too hard to read and get through all the innuendos and all that kind of stuff, okay? But if you have a Passion Translation Bible, Song of Songs comes alive in such a way that you actually begin to see the bride, the bridegroom king. You begin to see the entire story, and it's incredible, and it's beautiful. And I hope that God will allow me to teach you some of the prophetic uh, parallels that are in the Song of Songs that we see throughout Jesus' life. Apart from that, though, what we're talking about tonight, I have been consumed with this book. In Song of Songs 5 and 4, it says, My beloved reached into me and unlocked my heart. This jumped out to me weeks ago before I even knew I was studying this. To see that in this moment, there's an understanding of him reaching in and unlocking something within us. Something that was already there, designed to be there, put in there, was intended to be that way. He reaches in himself and unlocks it. That's Song of Songs 5 and 4. But I want to read to you something after that. Song of Songs builds so well. It's incredibly written the way it does, and it builds on, on, on each, each section. Each stanza builds on the next. But I want, I want to look at Song of Songs 5, and I'm going to start in verse 7. Uh, these are some scriptures I, I think I shared with the praise team a little while back. Uh, or maybe not these, but the next ones I'm going to get to. I want this, the reason I want to bring this to you is I want to show you what I believe God is trying to reveal. If, if this book was prophetic of so much stuff that happened in Jesus' 33 years, and, and even after he was gone, there's so much in this book. It's such a prophetic picture. And I believe what he's trying to do is show us what it looks like when he gets our heart back to where it's supposed to be. And our heart is doing the intended output, Okay. So verse 4 says, my beloved reached into me to unlock my heart. Uh, it goes on to do a few more, and I'm going to jump down uh, to verse 7. This is in the Passion Translation. As I walked throughout the city 
in search of him. The overseers stopped me as they made their rounds. They beat me and bruised me until I could take no more. They wounded me deeply and removed their covering from me. Nevertheless, make this promise. If you find my beloved one, please tell him I endured all travails for him. I've been pierced through by love and I will not be turned aside. This is the mindset of someone who has been so exposed, so vulnerable, who has experienced this that we're talking about in the spiritual, and your heart comes alive in such a way. As a matter of fact, on up in verse 6 it says, and uh, I opened my soul to my beloved and suddenly he was gone and my heart was torn out in longing for him. When's the last time our heart was torn in a longing to be with him? Has anyone been experiencing that through this prayer revival? Where all of a sudden there's a longing to, I just, I can't wait to get back in there with him. And there's something that happens because I just don't have time to teach all of this book right now. And and there's so much, but there's something that happens when a devotional slumber is awakened within us. And we come out of that place and he touches our heart, as verse 5 said. And he touches our heart in such a way that it says, they took me, they beat me, they, they, they did everything, they persecuted me, no matter what. But I could not turn aside. I'd been so pierced by your love, I couldn't be changed. I couldn't be altered. And then the people around, the other brides in this, begin to ask, how could you continue to care so deeply for him? Is there any other who could steal away your heart? What makes your beloved better than any other? And you just begin to see this beautiful picture of the people around them beginning to take such notice of a people who are so love-struck, who have been so deeply affected and affected that they can't help but keep pursuing after that beloved. They can't help because something has been changed on the inside, and we're not begging them to come to church. It says there's a longing when they feel apart. There's a longing, when can I get back into prayer? When can I get back into my word? because my soul is longing to be with him. This is what I want more than anything else. And then if you jump over, it just keeps building. It goes into your undying devotion to me as a yielded sacrifice. Gosh, there's so much here. Chapter 8, verse 6. Let's jump right here. This is what we begin to see. This becomes the fruit. This is what you begin to look like when your heart is uh, uh, operating in this level. Chapter 8, verse 6. Actually, I'm going to read the end of five just to set this up. I awakened your innermost being with the travail of birth as you longed for more of me. Gosh. Verse six, fasten me upon your heart as a seal of fire forevermore. This living, consuming flame will seal you as a prisoner of my love. Paul said, I am constrained by the love of Christ. It says, my passion is stronger than the chains of death in the grave, all-consuming as the very flashes of fire from the burning heart of God. Place this fierce, unrelenting fire over your entire being. It goes, verse 7, rivers of pain and persecution will never extinguish this flame. Endless floods will be unable to quench this raging fire that burns within you. Everything will be consumed. It will stop at nothing. Listen to this. The last part of verse 7. As you yield everything to this furious fire until it won't even seem to you like sacrifice anymore. Do you see what happens when he does it from the inside? When we allow him to expose and deal with and, and, and take care of all this stuff and we become vulnerable and we become open, he goes in and begins to set something 
so different within us. It changes us on such a level that he said, you're so burning in such a way, people are saying, how can you be so crazy about one person? Is there anyone else that you can love that much? And he says, this furious fire won't stop until it no longer seems like sacrifice. Setting aside that time every day is not, it's not law, it's not sacrifice. I'm doing it because I'm on fire for the one that I love. He's done something on the inside of me. He's so changed something on the inside of me that I'm not having to be provoked or coerced to do anything. He so came in and took something out, put something better in. One scripture, and we'll end with this. Ezekiel 11 and 19. I'm going to read 11, chapter 11, verses 19 and 20. This is God talking to his people or giving this to his prophet to say to the people. Then I will give them one heart. The actual breakdown of this, if you study this out, means an undivided heart. And I will put a new spirit within them and I will take the stony heart of their flesh out and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them they shall be my people, and I will be their God. Notice this. He said, I'll take your stony heart out. I'll put in this heart of flesh, and then you'll walk in my statutes. You'll keep my judgments. It, it won't be. It, once I put my heart in you, shoot, that, that's all you'll want to do. The love of Christ will constrain you into that place where you're just saying, this is what I, man, I just want to live in his judgments. Come on, can we say that? Oh, I, I just love walking in the judgment of God. But when you're in that place, oh my gosh. He said, I'm going to take out their heart, their heart of flesh, and I'm going to give them mine. When I began reading this and looking at this, I was just studying all this, and you can ask Dad, I've been coming to him with some stuff on just my prayer life. Is just, I'm a mess now. Like, I'm just a mess <laughs> And God just so began to show me that what he's doing is he's taking some very hard hearts. He's just making them so soft. We were actually, t we were joking around about Scott earlier because you get around Scott very long and start talking about much, he's just going to start crying at some point. But I can't say much about him because now I spend the majority of my time in prayer just weeping. Like, sometimes I literally sound like, bro, get it together. You know what I mean? But he's so softening my heart. I got in the car with Taylor the other night. She was having to take somebody some school supplies. They were getting to bless somebody in the community with school supplies. And she was like, hey, can you ride with me over there in case he's there by himself? And just all that. I was like, yes. Yeah. So we jumped in the car. We went. We got back in the car on the way back. She said, are, are you okay? I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. She's like, you sure? I was like, I'm just going to be honest. I'm just trying to keep from crying in front of you because I just don't know what else to do in this moment. And I find myself sitting at the house watching the kids baking championship with my kids and I'm just sitting over there crying and I'm trying to hide my face from my wife like they're baking cupcakes quit crying <laughs> my heart is becoming so soft it's becoming so soft that I find myself driving over the bridge in our community just crying just feeling the heart of God and I so want to be in the place where he takes my old stony oh, judgmental yeah. critical yeah. heart out he puts in such a heart of flesh that I begin to love everybody like he does. And if I have to stand in the grocery store line and just weep like a baby, if that's what it takes to get his glory into that place, then so be it. Let us weep. 
Let us weep again. Let us become so soft-hearted. Let us become so soft-hearted. Father, I thank you tonight. I thank you that you are laying life church. I thank you that we're being laid out on the operating table at this moment and, 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 and we, we so trust what you're doing. We don't understand it and it's way beyond us. I, I feel in the spirit just like I felt reading these medical things that it's just, it's so far beyond me and I don't get it but I trust you just like I would trust the surgeon. We don't need to understand it all. We don't need to know how it works. Father, we just want to trust you in this moment. And we're asking that we become the living expression of this song of songs book of a bride who is burning in such a way that's burning within them in such a way that no matter what happens or what's said or what comes about, we can't turn aside because we've been love struck. There's been something happened on the inside of us that changes us forever. God, let us be so, so consumed by this. Let us set this seal upon our hearts. Let the seal be set upon our hearts. And when the heart gets right, everything else will get right. When the heart is, is, is in the proper output, the body will work as it's intended to do. Father, help us. I, I feel the struggle tonight. I feel that there are some people that are, that are beginning to squirm and you're beginning to, to, to just move on the, on the operating table and you're uncomfortable and, and things are happening, but I'm asking you to rest tonight. Trust the surgeon. Father, help us to trust you in this moment that as you're cutting, as you're removing, as you're bringing this thing back to life, help us to trust you, Father. Help us to trust you in this moment. And when life, church... When that heart just spontaneously comes back into and, and, and begins to pump like it's in intended to, Life Church will stand up off that operating table and will walk in such a compassion and a love, and she'll be doing what she was intended to. She'll be loving like she was intended to. No matter where they're from, what they're into, what's happened to them, they'll see and experience the burning love of a bride who's been forever changed. So let it be said of us, that we are that Shulamite bride who said, why would you even look at me? Why would you even consider me? I'm, I'm not anyone. I'm not anyone but your undying, un, un, unrelenting love raptures us in such a way that all of a sudden we turn around and begin to reciprocate the same kind of love back to you. And our community is affected. Our families are affected. God help us. Help us, Holy Spirit. Father, I thank you for this core group that's sitting in this room tonight. I thank you for what you're doing through, to us, through us, and in us in this revival of prayer. And I pray that even as this week, as we continue to pursue you throughout this, this prayer, this, these, these moments of corporate seeking, I pray that that fire would burn ever more bright. God, let it be, let it be changed even more. Let us be transformed anymore until we're burned away and we're just living in the nature and the character of your son, Jesus Christ. Church, I'm not rushing this right now. I, I need you to take a moment and press into this. I need you to pray this for a second. Can we just hang out here for just a minute? In Song of Songs chapter 4, it says, and then I let my devotion fall asleep. Later, 
after they after she experiences the unrelenting love of the bridegroom. Later, she's described as your undying devotion drew me back in. I need you to hear what's happening right now, that we have to be careful right now that we don't allow our devotion to go to sleep. Don't let your devotion fall asleep because it's an undying devotion that drew the, bride, the, 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 the bridegroom, the king, back in. Father, help us right now. Help us throughout this week that, our, that, that, that we're so drawn into this, that we so see what you're doing, that you, you help us to stay in the place where our devotion is alert, it's awake, it's with you. That we, like the disciples, don't, don't fall asleep in, your, in the hour that you need us the most. But let our devotion stay wide awake. Let it be a burning flame within us. If they're going to say anything about live church, let it be that we have an undying devotion. We don't have to be the best preachers or singers. We don't have to have the best campus I just want to be known as a people who have an undying devotion to you. So come in, replace our heart, change our heart, and massage us to the adequate output that you intended it for be. We thank you. We praise you. And the family all said, amen. Thank you guys so much for going on this journey with me tonight. I know it was different. I know it was weird. Uh, but God is so trying to do something in life, church. And we have to hang on to these moments. We have to press into these moments. Thank you for listening to Life Church Podcast. For more information, go to lifechurchofcolumbia.org.